With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hi, and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, A's beat writer Matt Kawahara, and today I'm joined by the Chronicles national baseball writer, John Shea. We're taking a look back at the A's season, why they fell short down the stretch, some bright spots from this year, and what the offseason might hold for Billy Bean and company. Well, hi, John. Thanks a lot for uh, for taking out the time and joining us today. We're going to talk a little bit about the A season and just kind of break down um, what happened there, kind of coming down the stretch. You were on the call on Monday, uh, the end of season call with with Billy Bean and David Forst and Bob Melvin, uh, where everybody sort of reflected on the year. Um, and I think one of the the most striking things for me, and I'll ask you to, to, to maybe your thoughts on this too, but was when Billy was asked basically, is this core player player core going to be coming back? Um, are they going to be keeping sort of the foundational guys into next season? Cause they do have a, a group of, of young foundational players who, who are still under team control uh, at least for next year. And a couple of guys who are even under control for the year after that, the year after that, but he was, his answer was, was very just uncertain um, as to whether, you know, what they're going to do with sort of this, this player core and, he cited payroll as a factor and not really knowing yet what their payroll capacity next year is going to be. But beyond that, he also made a point to just say they're going to need to sit down and sort of discuss what the direction of the team is. Um, and I think that was a change because obviously from year to year, there are always sort of payroll questions about what they are going to be able to do there. But the last couple of years, I think it's been pretty, um, pretty clear that they were at least going into the offseason with with a young foundation of, of guys that they knew were going to, they were going to be able to sort of uh, build around and kind of craft the team around. Whereas this year they're going into this off season and they still have those foundational guys, but they don't maybe necessarily know who's going to be, who's going to be there next spring and, and what they're going to be building around this year. I don't know if you got that same sense, but that, that was one of the things that stood out to me. I exactly got that same sense. That was the first thing I thought about when he said that he says, Oh my gosh, are we going, uh, to be approaching uh, an offseason in which the A's are sellers. And I immediately reflected to a couple of uh, offseasons in the past. I mean, you remember when Hudson and Mulder were traded within days of each other. I believe it was after the 04 season. And then, um, and, and well, which really in uh, retrospect, uh, didn't harm them right away because they were in the ALCS in 06, two years mm-hmm. later. Um, but then they really fumbled. Uh, you know, Bob Guerin took over and they they were pretty awful for four and a half years. And then Bob Melvin took over and brought them back to, uh, um, you know, more glory than uh, than than uh, the Guerin years for sure. And then the other years, uh, I, I think it was after 14 when Donaldson was traded to Toronto. Mm-hmm. And those were both huge and significant trades that you thought would just, uh, you know, make the team go away. 04, 14, it's kind of a 10 year itch sort of thing. And we're not to 24 yet, but 
we are at 21, soon to be 22. So maybe it'll come sooner. And <laughs> I mean, when you when you look at this roster, you know, what are the three most tradable pieces that could help build a farm system that is not very good? And the reason maybe Billy Bean is saying that is because the farm system needs depth it, 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 that it doesn't have. I mean, who did they call up in the final weeks to help them? Really nobody except guys they kept recycling in and out. There wasn't a stud pitcher, a stud hitter who came up and, and, and helped them at the, at the end when they needed somebody the most. And, um, you know, given that, given the farm system is not deep and maybe some of the high round picks haven't or didn't, pan pan out um it's the old bill walsh mentality better to trade a year early than a year too late and immediately i'm thinking about the two corner infielders matt chapman matt olson and maybe sean Manaya as guys they could trade right now and get something for i mean you know Manaya's, you know you know up there in service time as in chapman and olson uh, not going to be a free agent right away, but, you know, like Bill Walsh would do, he would trade, you know, too early, be, you know, as opposed to losing them in free agency for, for little. Now you could maybe rebuild or start to rebuild the farm system. And those are three big names. I think the A's could contend next year with the team or for sure contend with the, with the team uh, as is, because I don't think they're losing, um, I mean, obviously, they're losing the free agents they picked up at the trade deadline. Marte, especially, the best player on the planet, it seemed, uh, during his time in Oakland. Um, but, uh, you know, otherwise, you know, Canna is the big name, uh, Lowry, Moreland, but, uh, you know, a couple of relievers who uh, are up there in age. But uh, but you're looking at Olsen and, and Chapman, who could really bring in some you know, big time prospects and uh, yeah, they could contend next year, but what, uh, what happens after that um, a, a year or two or three down, if Olsen and, and Chapman are not re-signed and they won't be because they don't re-sign their own free agents um, to big money deals. They all go elsewhere. Um, you know, Liam Hendricks, Marcus Simeon are uh, both in the playoffs as we speak. I actually, Toronto didn't make it, but uh, almost did there, and the White Sox did. But yeah, I, I I could see something like that. It kind of reminded me of how the A's do business. They um, trade some big stars for prospects, and they really didn't get much for Hudson. Um, for Mulder, they got uh, Dan Heron, a young Dan Heron, who was very good for a number of years. Uh, the Donaldson trade wasn't all that good either. So you know, they, they made some wonderful trades over the years, obviously, especially, you know, during, during the deadlines uh, for many of these seasons, but, but um, that might be an intent. That might be a conversation they're having. And it's unfortunate for A's fans. It's, it's more, here we go again and uh, with the stadium uh, not resolved and who knows if it'll ever be resolved. Um, the next step is to uh, rebuild. So it wouldn't be the first time and A's fans are used to it. Yeah. And that was another thing that stood out from that call was, uh, was, was Bean was asked, you know, what, what, how does the, the uncertainty about the stadium situation play into the possibility of, of extending a long-term contract offer, a significant extension offer to, to young stars. And he basically said, 
we can't do that until <laughs> he, he, he said that it's, it's probably not something we're going to do is extend a significant long-term extension offer to a young player without some sort of um, stability as, as to what the, the stadium situation is. Um, and so that obviously that, that goes right to the situations with Olsen and, and Chapman. And th those two guys are, they're going into their second off season of, uh, of arbitration eligibility. Um, you mentioned Manaya, who I believe is going into his last year. Chris Bassett is going into his third year. Frankie Montas, who had a really strong mm -hmm. season, especially in the second half, is going into his second year. Ramon Loyano will be a, a, a first first off season of uh, of eligibility, even though he's under suspension right now. So that could maybe affect some of the negotiations there. But um, you know, but Olson and Chapman, basically, uh, you look at the year that that Olson had. He's going to be in line for a, a significant increase um it kind of remains to be seen what where he'll place in the mvp voting uh but just kind of all around the, the growth that he made uh this year as a, as a hitter not only with the power numbers which were uh pretty striking especially against lefties but uh but just the all-around hitters and coming off of the the down year that he had last year in the shortened season uh, I think he right, finished you know top five in in the league and uh in ops and he was top 10 in most major categories you know, slugging and on base percentage uh, run scored RBIs home runs. It was just a really impressive all around year. And yeah, I, you know, you look at you know what his potential value would be and then teams that would covet something like that. I think it's, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious that that, that would be attractive if they decided to go that route. Uh, Chapman would be an interesting thing, uh, an interesting, you know, consideration for me just coming off of his year because I think it was pretty clear that throughout the entire season, he was still coming back from the hip surgery that he had last year. Um, and, you know, he came into spring and was talking about how he felt really good considering how he wasn't really that far removed from it. And obviously he played throughout the season and he played just about every game. His defense was still pretty strong, but I think he cited a couple of times over the course of the year, just, how in talking to other guys and actually just in, in talking to other players who sort of observed him, they were really impressed just how he handled that comeback pr uh, process because, uh, you know, some guys who have that sort of hip labrum uh, repair talk about how it takes a year to, to really feel like you're back to yourself. And he had that uh, procedure last September. So, you know, we're 13 months removed now. And he, so he played the entire season basically kind of, uh, coming back off of that and he still hit something like I think it was 27 home runs but obviously you saw the strikeout numbers spike mm. um, you saw the average dip uh, and I, I think you know I guess evaluating him you you would have to maybe weigh how much that matters um, comparable to the defense that he plays at third base and 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 everything like that so uh, I, I think he would be a a pretty sort of interesting commodity if you will just to, to see you know what the what the uh the value uh, there would be but but obviously there's just sort of a lot of questions about whether the a's will will entertain those sort of offers or or whether they do want to go into next year and see if they can kind of keep this this foundational group together at least to, to maybe try to make one more run or or like you said i think that was an interesting point about whether it's you know airing on a, a year or two early is is the better move Chapman is so fabulous defensively and we saw him, you know, have bigger years offensively and the hip is an issue for any ball player. I mean, look at Buster Posey, you know, several years really before he came 
uh, back strong uh, now at 35, but he's more of a uh, play twice every series kind of guy instead of playing every day, uh, which sort of prolonged um, or, you know, uh, strengthened him, kept him strong over the course of the six months. But he's 34 and Chapman's closer to 28 and um, able to play 150 plus games, like you said. But and they don't have to trade him. Obviously, they could keep him no. for another year, let his uh, numbers get rebuilt, let him get healthy and healthier and um, stronger so that he can maybe rebound offensively. Uh, but I think, you know, I think the bottom line, the common denominator is John Fisher, the owner. Uh, you know, it, it's, it was obvious that it wasn't Billy Bean and David Forrest who didn't want to bring Marcus Simeon back. I mean, come on. It, it, the offer that they gave him was ridiculous. It's because John Fisher didn't want to bring him back at $18 million for one season, which would have been the qualifying offer. And that's exactly what Toronto gave. And what did he do? Well, uh, he continued to be a wonderful team guy, uh, uh, hit the most home runs ever for a second baseman, uh, moved from shortstop to second. I mean, he's the Bay Area kid. If you were going to keep anybody, it was going to be Marcus Semien. And if they don't keep him, that that's the, basically the precursor to trading Chapman and trading uh, Olsen and certainly not offering him uh, either one an extension. And like you said, Billy Bean said as much, no extensions, no stadium, no extensions. Well, they're not getting the stadium anytime soon. We all know that. And they could probably break ground at the Coliseum tomorrow. I mean, we could go into this, uh, you know, in, in different ways, uh, uh, heavy or light, but the 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 fact is, um, the A's picked a whole lot. Uh, you know, uh, took, uh, picked the option that was a lot more complex than just staying home at the Coliseum, and it, it's an option that no other A's owner in their history had because that was never an option because the Warriors were there and the Raiders were there. Well, those two two teams are gone. And they have the property to themselves. You, you wipe out the arena, you wipe out the Coliseum and you build, you know, your, your, your dream neighborhood and your bars, and your hotels and all that stuff and the crown jewel ballpark. Well, that's not so easy. Let's, let's try down here with all these other obstacles because we want to wait another five years before anything happened. Meanwhile, let's, let's uh, party in Las Vegas. And uh, I mean, it, the story is just so nonsensical. It's just, it's just, uh, insane what what this team and and the fans suffer more than anybody um the players are it's kind of the, the you start your career in oakland and then make the big money somewhere else and the the manager in the front office uh, both awesome but the ownership is just is just uh you know keeping the team down basically it's not pushing it up and that's that's a bummer with attendance and and with the you know, no improvements at the Coliseum and they've basically given up on uh, season ticket holders, but Hey, th these are all old stories. The, you know, the new story is the off season and what they're going to do, but I don't see John Fisher being interested at all in bringing back any of these guys uh, because it'll mean a, a bigger payroll and he's not going to be into that. Yeah. It is tough to see, I guess, um, to, to gauge what's going to, what's going to happen from that, uh, that perspective, I think from the, from the team's perspective, Bob Melvin, the last day of the season before the last game, um, he 
you know, voice the, the desire to, to, for the team to, to bring back the core. And he said that if they mm-hmm. do retain that, uh, that sort of young foundation of, or the foundation of players anyways, that they have uh, under, under control, he, he does feel like they can be a contender next year. And uh, Chris Bassett said the same thing. Uh, I talked to him a couple of days before the season ended and he said, yeah, I hope, I hope, I hope they bring us back. He, he obviously he doesn't know it's, and it's not he made the point. Yeah. It's not his decision, but he also thinks that if they were to return the guys that they have coming back, they can contend next year. And that one of the, the funny things about, um, about this season is something that Melvin noted in the end of season uh, press thing was that um, they haven't had very many years like this, where they went in thinking that they were going to be a contender. They were a contender for most of the season and then they didn't make it at the end. Um, his point was he didn't remember a year like this since he's been in Oakland where he felt like it was a playoff caliber team and they didn't make it because the teams that his team, the teams in Melvin's tenure that that did not make the postseason, they were, they were not good teams. I mean, they, I think, uh, Mm -hmm. the the four teams before this, if you, if you count, it was three full seasons and then the one season that he came in halfway through before this, that didn't make the playoffs. They all finished like something like 20 games out of first place. So those were all teams where they weren't necessarily going in, you know, trying to, to contend. Um, and this year was different. And there was, because of that, I think the the prevailing thought and the prevailing feeling toward the end, there was just disappointment that they couldn't get it done. And it was an unfamiliar feeling for them because obviously the last three years, they've made the playoffs and all, all the guys who were in that core, um, that's all they know is that feeling of getting to the end and at least at least going on to play a wild card game. The A's have always been known for finishing strong. I mean, even going back to the early 2000s, yeah. some of those teams struggled in the first half and just went bonkers in the second half. And that's what they needed in September out of this team. But from September 1st, the A's were 13 and 17. Mm-hmm. And they lost Lariano, Bassett got hurt, and what a gamer that guy is to, to come back at the end like he did. I think most would have just taken a pass and say, hey, I, I, I don't want a repeat. And his answer to that was, well, if there's a repeat, I know what doctor to go to. I mean, come on. <laughs> what, what a gamer. But, hey, I was kidding you in the press box at the, at the, the, last, the end of the last homestand. They, they had six to go. And they were three games back. And remember that year in 2012 when they had six to go and they were four back and they won the division over Texas, beating them three in a row at the end. Uh, Different circumstances, obviously. This was a wild card. So a whole bunch of teams were in front of them. But with six to go, they were three back. But they lost five of their last six and they lost, I think, 28 or 48 games to the Mariners this year, whatever that was. <laughs> they just couldn't beat those guys. And that was, that was the difference maker. Um, and that's what helped Seattle uh, stay in contention until the final day. They, they beat up on Oakland all that time, but they didn't get that last run. And that was the unusual thing for this team. Um, and uh, it, it's too bad because I would have loved to see uh, Marte, um, and these other newcomers in, in the postseason. But, you know, when you look at this roster, it, it's, it, the bullpen just ruins so many games. And you look around the league and you have all these fireballers, you know, throwing 97 coming out inning after inning. And the A's trotted out Romo and Petit, you know, throwing in the 80s. And 
yeah, at, at an advanced age. And it, it's just, how did this happen? Why, why do they have to rely on these guys? Where's the farm system? Where are the young guys coming up who can throw 97? And that's got to be the emphasis, you know, getting, I mean, the, the, the A's were at the cutting edge of analytics and now it seems like they've fallen behind a bit. Um, getting these fireballers out of the bullpen and, and remember how much Bob Melvin used to platoon uh, a few years back. And, and now they have so many set players uh, hitting both righties and lefties. Um, is that a good thing in this day and age? I don't know, but it seems like they sort of have to figure this out a real important off season on a whole bunch of fronts. We'll be right back with more on ACE plus after this. And remember, you can access all of our A's coverage and more with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Go to sfchronicle.com slash pod. That's sfchronicle.com slash pod. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. One thing that I do want to go back to is, yeah, is just, yeah, the second half. Uh, I think they went something like 18 and 27 uh, over the last 45 games. Um, and there were, there were a, a lot of, I think, it was, it was difficult to sort of diagnose exactly what went into that and, and whether there was one or two things that sort of, uh, sort of flipped them but um obviously losing Loriano uh that was something that I initially they seemed like they were able to sort of weather and obviously he was he was he's an interesting and, and important part of that team not only because of the way that he plays but I think because his demeanor is a little bit I, I don't know if unique is the right word but you remember in the playoffs last year um there was a game uh I, I want to say it was the one game that they won against Houston in the playoff series that they played last year, where afterward it came out that he had basically lit into the team in the dugout saying that in, in mid game saying, I don't want to go home and let's get this together. And I don't, maybe that's something that they were, they needed down the stretch this year or that they, that was missing for them was just kind of the guy who had that sort of uh, who was able to, to deliver that sort of message. I'm not sure necessarily if that was the case, but that could have been one thing that they were missing. And then both Billy Bean and, and Chris Bassett, Chris Bassett himself pointed to Chris Bassett's injury as I think the term Billy's was uh, an inflection point for them in this season, just uh, because not only are, did they end up, you know, losing for five weeks, a guy who was, building a candidacy for, for Cy Young contention um, and was the ace of their staff and, and the workhorse of a, of a rotation that led the majors in innings. But teammates were talking about how they just, his presence in, even when he's not pitching in the dugout is so important because of the feedback that he gives to the guys who are on the mound, the, the other starters who are pitching and, and sort of just his, his voice and his presence in the dugout is key for them. Um, in addition to just the, the way that he was able to take the ball and, and be so consistent every five days. But uh, so they missed that a lot. And 
Frankie Montes, obviously he, he sort of stepped up in Bassett's absence, but without sort of that, that steady uh, ace who was, you know, he was pitching six or seven innings basically every time he took the ball, the rotations wasn't carrying as much of a workload. And I don't know if that necessarily exposed the bullpen a little bit more, but immediately after, like a few days after Bassett's injury was the first of that series of bullpen breakdowns, you know, that it started with the Giants series where they lost that, that six, five game, I think it was August 21st, the Giants, um, where they, they had like a four, two lead, I think a five, two lead late in the game and, and weren't able to hold it. And then it was just a series of breakdowns where it seemed like the same thing was happening every time where they trotted out guys and nobody could hold the lead. And, and to your point, yeah, they, they, they didn't have a lot of hard throwers. And, and so those guys have to be so fine. And so pinpoint mm-hmm. when they are brought in and, and I think it was, you know, it's, it becomes a little bit more incumbent on, on the manager to sort of mix and match and, and make sure that the matchups are so sort of finely tuned for those guys to be successful, where you can't just kind of throw out a guy who's throwing 99 and be like, all right, if you, if you miss, maybe you get some, you, maybe you get a bad swing or you get some weak contact. Those guys were, if they miss, you're seeing games like the Toronto game where they, they lost 11 to 10 and they were up what eight to two in the eighth inning or something like that. So um so, yeah, I think that there were a lot of things and it just seemed like that it all sort of snowballed um, down toward the end. And and by the time, you know, they, they did get hit by some injuries like late in maybe the last week or 10 days. But I think by that time, it, it seemed like, you know, the odds were definitely definitely stacked against them there. Um, yeah. So there was a lot that, that sort of factored into uh, to just not being able to make that sort of second half run, like you said, that they, they've become so accustomed to doing. So you're talking about Bassett being a leader and everything, but when you're on the injured list, it's harder to lead. It's harder to get in someone's face and, and, and yell at them, get them going. And, and who's, who's that guy on the position player side? Is it Chapman, but with his numbers down, you know, what, what's his impact? And, you know, I, I, maybe you answer that, but also answer. And you had some great, you had a great interview with Mark Hanna. Um, you know, he, it, it was a, it was a pretty sentimental thing when, uh, when he, when he got the, the walk-off hit in the final home game. I mean, here's a kid who came out of San Jose, uh, Bellarmine, uh, went to Cal, um, came back in the rule five, uh, situation and trade. And he, he's really been a force. Um, you know, I just, just, he, he, he's really adjusted a lot. I mean, uh, Simeon left, he became the leadoff guy, and um, I'm not sure if he's that type of team leader, but he would be uh, a huge loss, um, a guy who can play different positions, first base, throughout the outfield, and turned into a very good center fielder, very athletic ball player. Um, he's got pop, uh, he's got great on base, um, and uh, and now it doesn't look like he'll be back. I mean, he's going to and what Simeon's going to come in with, with, with Simeon's year in Toronto, but he's probably going to command more than the A's are, are willing to pay. And it was kind of a sentimental inju- um, interview you had with him, right? Yeah. Uh, to, to your first question, I think, I think Loriano is that guy for them on the position mm. player side who is, uh, who's, you know, sort of the fiery guy and, and he'll, um, I, I, I do think Chapman sort of emerged as uh, sort of a, a team leader. He, he, he took on a lot of leadership aspects and maybe that's happened over 
uh, over a couple of seasons, but I think this year in particular, he really, um, really kind of embraced that role. And I, I don't, but, but there, I think just, you know, naturally they, they have different demeanors and obviously you can lead with different demeanors. I mean, Marcus Semyon wasn't a, a get in your face and yell at you kind of guy. Um, he was just a rock solid guy who was in the lineup every day and just worked to get better every day. And, and I think a lot of players sort of um, drew something from that. And I think, you know, so there, there are definitely different ways to lead. Um, so I don't necessarily know that it's like um, the, the days were, were absent, uh, the, like there was any sort of le leadership void there, but I was just with the Laureano uh, example, I, I just wondered if maybe not having him around and not sort of having his demeanor there, maybe if there was something missing there, just because I don't know that they necessarily have a lot of other guys who have that same demeanor. Um, as for Canna, he is, yeah, he's going to be a free agent. And, you know, while he did sort of express that he would love to be back with the A's, um, I think he's, he's realistic about the possibility, the, the definite possibility that that won't happen just because, you know, if they do decide to go in with sort of this, maybe look, remaking the roster or, or not trying to, um, you know, you saw what they did with, with most of their free agents last year. And he is a guy who is coming off, you know, he had a, actually, he had a really strong first half and then he was on the injury. Like he had a hip issue and he actually, when he came back, he explained that he was having issues with both hips. Um, and so he, you know, whether it was related or not, his production sort of dipped in the second half and they did move him down from, uh, from the leadoff spot into more of a middle order role. Um, and he started to hit for a little bit more power in the middle order role. So he does have that versatility of being able to, you know, be a leadoff guy and work the count and see a lot of pitches from the pitcher and, and work walks. And obviously he's amazing at getting hit by pitches. Who knows how that happens? Um, or he can hit down a little bit lower and maybe try to hit for more power and be more of a run producer. Um, and defensively, it seems like he is pretty good. He covers a fair amount of ground out there, whether it's in the corner outfielder spots or center field. So I think, um, you know, if, if he does hit the free agent market, I think he would be an attractive uh, player for, for some teams and, and probably, like you said, probably won't command the, the same sort of Marcus Simeon deal and probably won't command uh, the Starling Marte deal, which we're going to have to see how that, uh, what he ends up getting. I think that that'll be a fun one to watch. Um, yeah, that will be a fun one. I, I, I mean, is he going to go to a major market team uh, at his advanced age? I mean, he was you would think, spectacular. What's he, 30, so fun to watch. 32? Is he 32? Yeah, 32. Uh, 32 yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, but I mean, he could do it all really five, two guy. I mean, he's, he's turning 33 this week. Hmm. So, um, you're gonna, you're gonna sign a 33 year old for three years and, you know, 20 million plus. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> cause he could beat you in so many ways, the, the speed, the outfield, uh, defense, the, the throwing arm, uh, the pop, um, he crushes balls and it's just so fun to watch. Um, he might not have the home run totals he did a few years ago with Pittsburgh, but my goodness, he's a 300 hitter. He's going to have close to a 400 on base, um, you know, approaching 900 OPS and, and uh, just so fun to watch. He makes everybody else better too. 47 steals. Um, and yeah. <laughs> And, yeah. <laughs> and also the defensive aspect. I mean, he, 
I think he leads the majors in outfield assists since the start of the 2015 season to the point where nobody runs on him. I mean, we saw that like over the two months that he played with Oakland, like there were very, very few times that teams like ran on him. And there was one, it was a game in Anaheim where he threw out a runner going, I think it was first to third on a single. Um, and, he, uh, and afterward Chapman who caught the ball and placed the tag, he was like, yeah, I, I realized afterward I had never seen somebody test him. Like I'd never seen somebody run on it. That's, and he figured that that's just how much respect Marte's arm carries now is the teams just don't run on him. Like, they, like if there's, if there's any question, they don't. Um, so yeah, he's like, he's just all around, I think impressed a lot. Uh, there were several people who made the point that they knew he was a good player um, before the A's made the trade, but they just didn't realize how good until they saw him every day. And and yeah, he has played for mostly smaller or mid-market teams. I mean, Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Marlins, um, you know, spend time with the A's. And so, yeah, it will be interesting to see if, if maybe a bigger market um, takes, a, takes a chance on him. And I, I just seeing from some of the reports from uh, Miami before the, the trade deadline, I think that the, I think it was the Miami Herald had reported that uh, the Marlins were extending something like a, a three years for 30 million offer and Marte's camp mm. wanted something more like uh, three years and 50 million. So, I mean, with the second half that he put together, I would have to think that there are teams that would be, you know, interested or willing to at least, you know, good negotiate up to that, that point. Yeah, for sure. Three years, 60 or three years, 70, uh, no sweat for some of these teams that uh, you stick them out in center field or anywhere out there and uh, hit them two, three, four, five. And, he was uh, durable too. I mean, yeah, he missed yeah. uh, he missed a couple of games at the end of the year, um, but beyond that, I mean, he started basically every game for them, other than one one game that he missed after he got hit in the head by a pitch. And so, yeah, he he was he's durable for sure. Big void next year. We already know he's not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a shocker. I think that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That, would, that would be a big surprise. But yeah, it does leave, it does leave the question of, um, you know, if he's not coming back. They're not going to have Loriano for the first uh, for the first month of the season, at mm. least uh, because of the suspension. I think he's still going to have something like 28 games on the suspension to serve. So they'll have to figure out an option there for center field. Um, assuming that, you know, Canna's not back, they'll have to maybe fill in a corner outfielder there too. And I think it, it will kind of, bring to the forefront something that you mentioned earlier, which was what is their depth? Like when they were, when they were coming down the stretch and the, and the bullpen was having those problems, they weren't able to sort of dip into their, the triple a pitching staff and, and bring up guys who could come up and be effective, like lights out relievers for them. And they had a pretty good record of, of durability for the position player side until sort of the end where Andrews and Lowry got hurt and Mitch Moreland was kind of in and out for the, uh, for a lot of the season. Um, but they were able to kind of, you know, Seth Brown um, came up and spent most of the year with them and hit 20 home runs. And uh, his average was, you know, low, but he was able to at least provide a little bit of power um, sort of as a bench or platoon guy. And I, I think he's a guy who next season could, could, maybe take on maybe a bigger role because um, he plays some corner outfield, but, but yeah, that's going to be a question is just how, how they fill these holes um, that at least, you know, for now going into the off season, it looks like they will have uh, regardless of what they decide to do with the roster. So you're saying sky bolt is not the savior. 
this guy Bolt, uh, he, you know, he was up for for a fair amount of, I think for for the final month, um, and we didn't see very much of of him and Luis Barrera, another guy that they brought up uh, for for just really short stints and just just didn't get a lot of playing time. And, I, and I'm sure, you know, part of that was because of of the guys that they had. Um, they were trying to, you know, make some sort of last ditch run behind, but um, but we just didn't, you know see very much from them in those in the small uh sort of windows of opportunity opportunity that they got so it'll be something to watch uh, one thing that i want to hit before just we we wrap up here was the billy bean question um <laughs> because that was another sort of major question for him in that end of season thing was because of the speculation and, and the reports that the new york mets who have the vacant their vacancy for president of baseball operations and He's one of the three guys or now, I guess, maybe two guys left uh, with Theo Epstein not interested on their shortlist for that, um, whether it's something that that could be in play for him. And I, I would have to say that his answer when he was asked both uh, if he wanted to respond to those and if the Mets had reached out to him was was not the was was pretty um inconclusive. I don't know if that I don't know if that's the right word, vague. Um I don't know what 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 would you say you you drew from just sort of the way that he answered those questions. Yeah, it was a little surprising that Theo and uh, Cohen, the Mets uh, owner, didn't uh, see eye to eye on any future. I mean, that's like the last frontier for Theo, who uh, ended uh, a drought in Boston, ended a, a drought in Chicago, and now I mean he's already going to the Hall of Fame after doing that, right? And now he's working with Major League Baseball. And the Mets could have used somebody like that, right? Um, but if not, there's Billy Bean and Sandy Alderson, who was, um, you know, extended for the purpose of kind of overseeing the transition um, with the baseball operations people. Uh, obviously brought in Billy as a, after his playing days in 89, 90. And then when Steve Schott came in, um, uh, Billy was promoted to general manager and then uh, a role Sandy had. And then Sandy shortly thereafter went to the commissioner's office. But um, Billy brought Sandy back, right, in an advisory role a few years ago before uh, Ullerson went to the Mets. So there's a real close relationship. And it was kind of funny that Billy in the conference call was talking about uh, normally when you do these things, the team has to go through the owner and then the owner gives his permission or it doesn't give his permission. But, uh, <laughs> you know, with Sandy and Billy, I mean, they talk so often. I mean, I'm sure they've already uh, talked about this and Sandy gauged uh, Billy's interest. Um, yeah, Billy seemed to be out the door to the Red Sox back in the early 2000s, but stayed. He seemed to be out the door uh, in the past year or two uh, with his uh, soccer ventures, but, but stayed. Um, so it, 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 it's not just the players and, and the, the roster poor, but it's the front office poor that uh, is going to get a lot of pub coming forward because the, the manager, after next year, he'll be a free agent, right? And uh, talk about a hot commodity with, with Melvin. And David Force, too. Uh, he's turned down a lot of offers to stay in Oakland. And if Billy does go, maybe David would take over the uh, the lead role. And then 
if Bob leaves, uh, he'll hire, you know, a new manager, new staff. So we could, in the next year or two at the latest, this is going to be a completely different setup in Oakland. A lot of questions going into the offseason, but definitely a lot to keep an eye on. Uh, well, John, thank you very much for, for taking out the uh, for taking out the time today and for talking through some A stuff, and uh, we'll see how the offseason plays out. Yeah, uh, we'll, uh, we'll monitor it, and you'll be all over it. Thanks a lot, Matty. Thanks to John Shea for joining me today on A's Plus. And thanks to all of you for following along with our A's coverage all season. Our producers today were G. Allen Johnson and King Kaufman. Thanks for listening.